All I'm thinking about is uh, the DC-9 that's going to fly onto the grass airstrip in Haiti. Oh, it's a DC-3, which was, uh, you know, it's a modern plane when it was built 60 years ago. Uh, But sometimes the older things are better, right? Amen. Yeah, happy Father's Day. This is a tough one uh, for for ministers because, uh, you know, Mother's Day, it's it's all about how wonderful mom is, and mom's the best thing ever, and then you get to Father's Day, and it's like, you dirty, rotten scoundrels, you know, do your part, you know, those kind of things. So I'm so grateful for, uh, I'm so grateful that, that the Holy Spirit has already been involved in our service today, because even as Amy reminded us in her prayer, and as Kent reminded of us as he spoke, that uh, we get to celebrate God as our Father, and everything good and everything wonderful that that means for us. Wow, it's so amazing to me because of what has been on my heart to speak to you about today and to hear Amy pray through my message. So I think one of the teens has hacked my work computer or something. So what I want you to do as we begin this morning is I just want you to take a walk with me. And, and right now, I want you to imagine that all together, we're walking down a very busy street in the city of Boston. And it can be difficult in the bustling city like this to feel that you have any connection whatsoever because of all of the chaos, all of the crowd, as you navigate through this crowd of people. It's, it's hard to imagine that you can feel like you have any meaningful community that you're a part of, that you belong to. And, and then something cheerful catches your eye. And so you, you take that left turn and you follow the stair rail and the stairs down to what looks like a landmark establishment. And you open that wooden door and the bells announce your presence and suddenly it's a, why it's a familiar sight. You almost feel like you've been here before, like this is some kind of home for you. Something in the back of your mind wonders if you've just walked onto the set of a TV sitcom. There's a cast of familiar characters. There's, there's Carla, and there's Coach, and there's Sam, and there's Diane. And, and Frazier doesn't seem to be in this episode. I mean, doesn't seem to be here this afternoon. But uh, there's Cliff. And what Cliff is doing is he's, he's pitching ideas for characters that he can play in upcoming Pixar movies. And then there's Norm right where you would expect him to be, sitting perched there, and all eyes turn on you as you walk in, and and they're not the eyes of someone who is looking at you with distrust, as if you don't fit in, as if you don't belong. They're eyes that are looking at you warmly, and you know in a heartbeat that you will be back 
you believe in your deep in yourself that this is a place eventually where everyone will know your name. Uh, the Cheers effect has been extensively researched and, and studied, and all kinds of businesses and organizations have tried to implement what we all watched on that television show. I say all. Those of you who are of a certain age, talk to your older people this week and to have them explain what that is. And so businesses and organizations have actually studied what is now called the cheers effect. And they try to implement that kind of culture in their own businesses, in their own organizations. It's not such a crazy thought. I mean, who hasn't watched an episode wishing that they were part of such a, a group dynamic? You see, there's a reason why TV sitcoms continue to push small groups of friends forward as the ideal community. There's a reason that they go back to this formula over and over again. They, they show this small group of people going through life together sharing life together as it's them against the world. Those of you who are big-time uh, TV sitcoms, I thought we ought to do the top ten sitcoms that play upon this theme. I'm just going to give you one, right? Laverne and Shirley. I mean, all of these shows, they're pushing forward that ideal that no matter what's going on in the world, no matter what's happening to you in your life, if you just have a small group of people, you're going to be okay. You see, what it does is it captures the ideal. It shows us the promise, the hope, and the power of, of community. All right, so what do you think of when you hear the word community? Is it something you miss? Is it something that you long for? Is it something that you're, you're part of? I mean, to be in community today is so widely applied in our world today you don't even have to show up and still you're counted to be part of the community. Uh, some people's idea of the ideal community is gated. Get off my lawn. And, and yet other people's ideal community is a, is a commune with all things in common, peace, love, and plumber's putty. So what we're going to do today is we're going to consider the idea of community that we share and that we have because of our communion with Christ. And to do this, we're going to return to Psalm 46. If you have your Bibles, I ask you to open it as I read together from God's Word. Psalm 46, 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, 
Behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This is God's word. Now, Andrew Reisner, in his commentary on the Psalms, he says, the Psalms are community property. They're community property. He says, their theology is in the public domain. Now, now this is really clever. Uh, because the Psalms are just a collection of, of songs. And so when he uses the words community property and public domain, those are terms that are related to music licensing and royalties, which is a headache in today's world, not to mention today's live stream world. And so what he's telling us is that, that Psalm 46 is a communal psalm. That it's meant to be shared and enjoyed and studied and read and thought through with someone else. It's meant to be a community psalm. And so this idea of community, it's that Israel finds its identity as a people of God, not as a bunch of individuals, but they find their identity in God as a people of God. And so they join together in this redeemed identity to praise and exalt God above all else. So the Bible reveals to us a God who is a relational God. That's the picture the Bible gives us of God. The Bible tells us that God is one God, but he is also a relational God. He is a merciful and holy God. He is a relational and redemptive God. And so this redemptive theme is pushed all the way forward in the Bible. This narrative is carried forward that that human beings are not the result of some chance organization of amoebas, that there is a creator and that this world is his creation. One of the first things that we learn about God being a relational God is that he has made each and every single one of us in his image. Genesis says, let us make man in our image. Let us make man in our image. And so in the image of God, male and female, we're all made into the image of a God who existed in relationship, who created out of relationship, and who calls us into relationship. Have you ever considered that one of the most perplexing questions in the world, where do we come from? Why, it's answered in one of the most personal ways. The gospel teaches us that we come from God, our Father who is one and who is a relational God. Now, most religious experiences today, they focus on man's search for God, our search for God. 
So I, I really resonate with um, a theologian by the name of Abraham Joshua Heschel, who says in one of his landmark works that the whole philosophy of Judaism is this. It's not man in search of God, it's God in search of man. That that's what the entire philosophy of Judaism is. That the God of the Hebrew Scriptures, the God that we know of, of the Old Testament, is a God who is actively, daily seeking us. It's God in search of us, looking for us. Now, he even talks about this idea of Israel, the people of Jacob, being known as the chosen people. And he says, listen, you have to understand what's going on here. Because if you understand what's really going on with the people of Israel being the chosen people, you understand that it's not a quality inherent in themselves. It's because of who God is that they are chosen. And when you understand this, hmm, this leads to a response of faith. This leads to a response of faith. That no matter how good we think we are, no matter how bad we think we are, no matter how right we think we are, no matter how wrong we know we are, that our choosing, that our identity, that our acceptance comes to us as a gift from God through Jesus Christ. So this is the basis of community. And Psalm 46 is inviting us to consider this big idea. That because we were made in the image of a relational God, we were made or created to be in relationship together. So let me show you how this works out in Psalm 46. It's two ways. I want to ask you to go back and look, first of all, at verse 7, because the first thing we see about this God is that He is with us. It's right there in verse 7. Now, uh, verse 7 and verse 11 are, are the exact same verse. They both say the exact same thing. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Now, uh, those of you who are familiar with the Christmas story, you won't be surprised to know that in Hebrew, these words with us are the words Emmanuel. Emmanuel. That God is with us. God is Emmanuel. You see, God says to Moses, I will be with you when you go to Egypt. I will be with you. I will be Emmanuel. And God says through the prophet Isaiah about uh, the, the, the prophecy concerning Mary that she will give birth to a child, and the name of that child would be Emmanuel, God with us. And then God, through Jesus Christ, says, here's what I'm going to do for you. I'm never going to leave you. I'm never ever going to leave you. I'll be with you always. And through Jesus and through the Holy Spirit, we have one of the greatest promises of Scripture ever in Hebrews 13, where Jesus tells us, I will never forsake you. I'll never walk out on you. I'll never walk out on you. I'll never abandon you. I will never leave you as an orphan. I will never forsake you. I will be with you. 
This is so incredible that, that what Psalm 46 is teaching us is that the Lord of hosts is Emmanuel. He is with us. There's a second thing. Look, please, at verse 1 where it says, God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. You also see this phrase in verses 7 and 11 again. If we could go to verse 7, which simply says again, the Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. Now, uh, there's something missing in the English translations of the Bible. Because in the Hebrew version of this, the Hebrew text actually says in verse 1, God is for us a refuge, a strength, a very present help in trouble. And when you go down to verses 7 and 11 in the Hebrew text, it says, the Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is for us a fortress. This is such an important distinction because it's showing us the power of this relational God who is for us. And there's one more thing here. It's in verse 7 and 11 when it says, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. They're using the personal name of Israel. The personal name of Israel. They're trying to show this familial connection. They're resulting together, they're, they're rejoicing together as the people of God in the identity that they have as being known by God. Now, you see this throughout the Psalms, the God of Jacob, the God of Jacob, the God of Jacob. So, so, so understand what's happening here. The people are relating to God together as a personal God. Who is the Lord of the universe? Who is the creator and maker? He is the God of Jacob, and He is our God. He is for us, and He is with us. Who is the one who has made everything, that the skies, that the, His handiwork that proclaim His greatness? Who is this Lord of hosts that is exalted above all the nations? He is our God. He is with us. He is for us. Therefore, why would we ever be afraid? He's a God that is known and can be known. He is a God who is on our side. He is a God who with us. We know Him and He knows us. He knows our name. And He hears us. Anytime we call. Now, this is carried all the way forward into the New Testament, and it's fulfilled brilliantly and powerfully through Jesus Christ. You see, ultimately, through Jesus Christ, God is the God who is ultimately for us. This is, this is one of the major theological points of Romans chapter 8, where Paul says, if God is for us, if God is with us, then a bunch of rhetorical questions, then who could be against us? Who, who could? I mean, what other response could we give? What other conclusion could we come to? If God is for us, who can be against us? See, our identity is tied together as a people, as a community together 
with our God. Now, I want to show you just one quick thing. So Psalm 46 is not the only psalm that talks about God being a fortress, a shelter, a a strong tower, a refuge. There are are many other psalms that do this. Uh, For example, Psalm 18 and, and Psalm 91. But there's a difference between all those other psalms. All those other psalms talk about God is my refuge. God is my strength. God is my fortress. I mean, I think Psalm 18 has about a hundred different uses of the of I, me, my. And there's nothing wrong with this identification, with this personal idea of God being your God. God being your God. You see, as worshipers, we need to respond to God individually. We do. There needs to be something in our personal and private life where we are coming to God as our source of refuge, as our strength, as our security. But boy, I wish I, wish I could explain this. When we come together as a people, when we come together as the body of Christ, and we lay down our personal identities, and we lay down our personal interests, so that as a collective we can gather with one voice and one heart and say, The only thing that matters here in this moment, Lord Jesus, is that through you and because of you, we glorify God. This is a struggle uh, in our world today. Uh, It's a struggle because the message that we're constantly hearing in our world today is don't sacrifice your individuality that it's all about you, it's all about what you need, it's all about what you want, it's all about what makes you happy, and so never, ever, I read a philosopher this past week, made my head hurt, but the, but the main message of, of the message was, do not sacrifice your individuality for any reason whatsoever. Okay, so I get the point, I think, of what they were trying to say, and I think the word sacrifice is a little strong. It's a little strong. Uh, So, I mean, if your community forces you to shave your head and to wear nothing but colorful robes and your work is passing out flowers in the airport and your worship is only chanting Sinead O'Connor songs, you may want to rethink your community. So I get the idea there of of not sacrificing your individuality. See, there's a difference in sacrificing your individuality and yielding your individual interests. Two different things. And the basis of any meaningful community is the surrender of individual interests for the success of community interests. I mean... How can you have community where no one is yielding individuality? And so the basis for community that we share in Christ for mutual edification is about mutual concern and mutual needs for everyone in the tribe. I mean, if we have a manifesto as the body of Christ, it's Philippians chapter 2. 
which speaks to us powerfully in verse 4, let each one of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. I mean, there are forms of community where the, where the community flourishes, and, and, and no one feels like they've given up anything. And yet there are other forms of community where, where, where everyone is refusing to give up, everyone is refusing to yield, and there's, there's no real sense of community. I mean, even here in the land of promise and opportunity, we have such disparity of equality. I mean, whether it's racial or gender disparity or it's inequitable distribution of wealth, the fabric of our world is broken. And it's not going to get any better if we continue to insist on our own individual rights at the expense and at the cost of others. So here's what's happened. And this is not a good thing, so this is not a good thing. See, it used to be in churches, it was us versus them. That's not a good thing, you see? But that's what it used to be. It's worse because now it's us versus us. It's worse. I mean, the fabric of our world is broken, and this is expressed in a lack of justice in the world. It's expressed in the lack of peace in the world. And the problem is not going to be solved if we keep insisting that my rights are more important than the rights of the community. We've got to yield. We've got to yield together and be in submission together. This is what Psalm 46 is praising, is rejoicing in. That there is so much security and refuge in God as our Father. That we can come to Him with one heart, one mind. I mean, if you continue to push and push and push and push the fabric of our society when it keeps telling you and you keep believing that message that only you need to be happy, you find yourself on the island of misfit toys. And none of the other toys want to have anything to do with you either. And that's where it leads. Howard Macy writes, Christian community is simply this, sharing a common life in Christ. Huh. Seems like we may have known this already because we made a bunch of words and stuck it on the wall. That we understand that Christian community is about sharing life in Christ. Uh, and the more that we're going to share together and the more that we're going to journey together, Howard Macy says, it moves us beyond the self-interested isolation of private lives and beyond the superficial social contacts that pass for Christian fellowship. The biblical ideal of community challenges us instead to commit ourselves to life together as the people of God. Take another walk with me. We're not going to go far. We're just going to go down the street. And we're going we're gonna to head over to the Tower Plaza. And some magical way, we're all going to fit in the elevator together. So stand like this. And we're going to ride the elevator all the way to the top. It's a lovely day today. 
And we're going to walk outside and we're going to stand there on the, on, on the terrace, on the mezzanine, on the rooftop of Tower Plaza. And I just want you to, to look out in this city. What do you see? Banks, restaurants, and churches. Billboards for lawyers. But look deeper. Do you see people? Do you see people on the streets of Springfield even right now? And do you see what they're looking for? Do you see what they're longing for? Don't you see that, they, that there are people in our city even right now who are wishing they could find a place where everybody knows their name? Don't you see there are people who have they've bought into this lie that they're better off by themselves? And there's something gnawing, there's something nagging at them. And boy, that may even be you here this morning. Can't we do better? Can't we do better than a bar in Boston? I mean, isn't there something that we have to offer people where they can join us and be so part of our community that they know that together He is our God and He is our refuge. He is our fortress. He is our strength. He is our shield. Let's pray. Father, you want nothing more than to be in community with us and our selfishness and our sin. It just, it just makes that impossible. And because, because the default mode of our heart is to try to save ourselves, we isolate ourselves into thinking that we can do it alone. Boy. I'm so grateful that the cross changes all of that. That the accomplished work of Jesus Christ becomes our righteousness. So we come to you as a people not rejoicing in our tradition, not rejoicing in our heritage, not rejoicing in how we things, we do things, what we do, what we don't do, but rejoicing simply in you. So Holy Spirit, convict our hearts so that we will yield to you that we would be willing to give up our own interests so that your body here in this place, in this town, would flourish. Help us see the cross as the only way forward, which is the ultimate sign that not only are you for us, but you are with us. And we pray through Christ.